The month of July, talking about true hunger. We've called a fast and prayer on the church, and the reason we've done that is because we feel a great darkness encroaching. Not, not just on us, but, but in the world. A darkness, of course, that has always been here since the moment the serpent tempted our first mother and father and they sinned and the curse was spread to the world and sin entered in through one man and death through one man has spread to all of us and the powers of darkness have always been here trying to destroy us. This darkness has always been here. But there are times in life when that darkness seems to be very palpable. It's tangible. It feels like it is almost winning and suffocating us. And your leadership here believes that we are feeling that right now. Not only in just our community or in our country, but in the world. A great darkness, almost like a great army that is pressing in. And particularly on our children, sons and daughters. And so we've called a fast appropriately to say we're going to commit this month to denying ourselves of food, to remind ourselves that it is the Lord that we're all hungry for and thirsting for and we desperately need. But fasting is something that is expected and God's people turn to him in their greatest needs in their times of trouble and they look to him as their source of strength and we're gonna see that today. We're gonna see that today. Second Chronicles chapter 20. You see, this is a, uh, a book uh, a book of the kings of Israel, both, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The kingdom was split after Solomon and then Solomon's son comes in and the, spleen, the kingdom gets divided, it gets split. And so now you see Judah and you see Israel, north and southern kingdom. And Chronicles goes through the list of the kings of the southern kingdom in Judah. Today we're going to look at a man, Jehoshaphat, a king, and his wonderful example of someone who sought the Lord with his whole heart. Sought the Lord with his whole heart. I want us to put a finger in chapter 20, but then I want us to turn back to chapter 7 really quick. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want you to see this theme verse. This, this verse that is, is given to Solomon in chapter seven and it's gonna kind of be echoed through all of the kings that come through. A verse you may know quite well. Chapter seven, verses 14 and 15. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and, what's that word there? It starts with an S. Seek. Seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. I'm going to make an assumption here. An assumption that we've, we're familiar with this verse, but I also want to make an assumption of what happens when we read this verse and what happens when we read verses like this. A pit in our stomach maybe pops up. And all we can focus on is the condition, the conditionality of this verse. Like, man, 
I have to this in order for God to hear me. If you tend to think of this verse that way, you're, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. I want you to start thinking about it like this. Instead of like, man, I have to do this in order for God to hear me, think about it like this. God is promising you that if any time in your life you are humble and you seek his face, he will never turn you away. It's a totally different way to look at it, isn't it? This is what God is communicating. I never will turn you away when you seek my face and you're humble. I'm always here for you. I will always be here for you. And regardless of what's in your past or what's coming in your future, how drenched in darkness you are, how much you have denied me and forsaken me, the moment you humble yourself and you turn to me, you can be sure that I will hear you and listen and you have my ear and I will listen and hear and answer. Isaiah tells us that God dwells with those who are humble and contrite. He's with them. I mean, we know our God. He's not going to turn someone away who, whose face falls and they're screaming and they're asking God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I'm with that person. But the person who stays haughty and prideful and arrogant in their own strength, who really in their heart, I can see in their heart, they don't need me. They don't want me. There's always resistance there. God's like, I can't, I can't help that person. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. See, this is a guarantee that when you humble yourselves and pray, God is listening. Let's stop seeing it as this kind of works based, like, well, I guess I gotta do this if I want God to hear me. And he's standing up there with a lightning bolt ready to hit me if I don't just do everything the way he wants me to do it. See, that's a heart that tests the Lord. That's a heart that doesn't know the character of their father. Now, I want you to see just how prevalent this theme is among the kings, among the kings of Israel. Now jump to verse or chapter 14. We're gonna move really quick. I just wanna point out some things. I wanna validate that this theme of seeking the Lord is, is the theme that God is trying to, to, to make our minds see over and over and over. Starting in chapter 14, this is Asa, the, the father of Jehoshaphat. Verse two, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Verse seven, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. Verse 11, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you is a cry of of help when the armies were coming against him. Chapter 15, verse two, the Lord is with you. Azariah, the son of Obed, says to Asa the king, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was out the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they're distressed, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him he was found by them. Upon hearing this, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, hearing this prophecy from Azariah, established a covenant with the people. Verse 12, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. 
but that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting, with trumpets and with horns, and all of Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all of their hearts and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Chapter 16, verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria, Asa, up to this point, 30-something years in his, his, king, his kingship of seeking the Lord, at this point, compromises. And he makes a covenant with the king of Syria. It begins to divide his devotion, not only to the Lord, but divide his devotion to the king of Syria and they fought against Israel and won. And look what the prophet said to him. The seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Then he reminds him, verse eight, were were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart and blameless toward him. And then he promises them, war will be with you for the rest of your time. And Asa's heart turned away from the Lord. Verse 11, the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. Verse 12, in the 39th year of the reign of Asa, he was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Yet, ding, 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 listen to this. Yet, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. What do you think might be going through this man's heart who saw many years of seeking the Lord and God being with him, only at the end of his life to be diseased severely and refuse to seek the Lord, but only the strength of man? And he ends up dying. And his son, Jehoshaphat, takes over. Jehoshaphat reigns in Judah. Verse three of chapter 17, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, the pagan gods, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Chapter 18, verse four, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to him, shall we go to battle? At this point, Jehoshaphat has taken over. He is a good king. Jehoshaphat does some wonderful things with his reform. He takes Levites and priests and he sends them into the towns and the cities to bring people's hearts back to the Lord. And he begins to teach them, establish a thing where we're teaching people the law and bringing the hearts of people to understand the one true God, to do what? To seek him wholeheartedly. Something interesting happens though. Halfway through it, he takes this marriage covenant with Ahab, Jehoshaphat, who gets this long, awesome list of how great and mighty and how much he loves the Lord and seeks the heart of the Lord. And then right in the middle of it, it says he made a marriage pact with Ahab. Chapter 18, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Some 
years, he went down to Ahab, Ahab in Samaria, and it talks about this covenant they made together. If you know anything about Ahab, you know that the scripture says he was the worst king, the most wicked king, that no one before him had done as much evil as he did. And so you get to this point, you're like, why is Jehoshaphat, this king who is seeking God's heart with all of his heart, joining forces with Ahab? He agrees to fight with Ahab in a battle. Ahab ends up dying. And then a prophet comes to Jehoshaphat to say, this was evil that you joined with someone evil. Why would you do this? But God is still with you. But wrath has come against you. Because of this marriage alliance with Ahab, still uh, wrath will be coming against Jehoshaphat, this great king who has turned the people's hearts back to God. Now look at chapter 20. You're going to start seeing wrath or armies come against this great king. Thanks for bearing with me. Now here's what I want you thinking about as we get into this. If this theme, which I hope I have saturated enough to where it's obvious that there's this theme of how important it is to seek the Lord, are we a people that seek the Lord with our whole heart? Are we the people, as God, the scripture says, that God's eyes go to and fro on the earth, looking for those whose ways are blameless, who seek him? Would he come to us and find people that are seeking him with his whole heart? So this is what I want to show you today. I want you to see the heart of a people, of a king, of a man who sought the Lord, and what the people of God look like and what they're like, and what characterizes them as those who seek the Lord. Chapter 20. Those who seek the Lord are a people who seek the Lord first when they're afraid. Those who seek the Lord first when they're afraid. Chapter 20, after this, after what? After he is told that wrath is going to come against him, and after a, a, a few extra times of Jehoshaphat setting up judges in the land to judge rightly and to settle disputes and to be like God who's impartial and bring justice to the land. After all of this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with some of the Maunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Hey, we can relate being human, right? What it's like to be afraid. How many times in life are we afraid? We get afraid at night. We get afraid in the morning. We get afraid at work. We get afraid when we come around with someone we don't want to be around. We get afraid just by the simple thoughts. Life is filled with fear. But look at Jehoshaphat's first response. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord. Those who seek the Lord are people who seek him first when they're afraid. And look what he did. Set his face to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Sickness may have struck your body. 
calamity and finances may be upon the horizon for you. Your children may be running as far as they can from the Lord. You go to school and all you see are people that you feel like are judging you and who hate you and who make fun of you and you feel utterly alone. Relationships in your life are marred and filled with unforgiveness and resentment. Actual danger from the world going on around us as we feel an encroaching hatred of those who would follow this becoming now more trendy and popular and normal for people to hate you and dare you to stand up for this. Our children being faced with seemingly with teachers all around them that are coming through their shows, coming through their school, coming through their teaching, invading them through all of their devices that it seems like we cannot keep up with. And it seems like the enemy and the powers of darkness are doing a far greater job at stealing the hearts of our children than we are in turning their hearts to the Lord. We may not have a great multitude, a great horde of army on the horizon coming to us literally, but what we know spiritually that is literally the case is that there is a spiritual evil army of darkness and we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the rulers of darkness and the unseen realm that is pressing in on every single one of us. Every single one of us has moments in our life when we are afraid. And the darkness is closing in. Many things that would cause us to want to feel that fight or flight and run and flee. Let me ask you, with any of these things as you're facing and you start to feel afraid, what is the first thing you do? What's the first thing you seek? Why do you think Jehoshaphat sought the Lord first? Because he knew, he knew the power of his God He knew exactly what he needed in the moment. When he was faced with something that was impossible that he knew he had no control over. And by the way, his response tells us that this great horde that was coming against him must have been a lot because he had, we just heard, he had over like a million different people in his army. And if he's now afraid, and as we're gonna see in his prayer, feel powerless against this great horde, how much of an impossible battle was this that he was facing. That's the implication we're getting here. But the first thing we see about people who seek the Lord are the people who seek his face first when they're afraid. I mean, think, think about all the areas of life where we feel unstable in the heart and we go to something for control, whether it's a person, a professional, a distraction, someone else, maybe even new age, cultish, dark things, desperate, hoping to get some type of help from something so we can feel a little bit more in control over this thing we're very much afraid of. What's your temptation? See the heart of this man that God's given as an example of someone who seeks him wholeheartedly. When you're afraid, you go to the Lord first. This is something that's replete in scripture. God gives us the Old Testament as an example and he purposefully gives us kingdom imagery and he gives us army battle imagery. So we'll think rightly about the spiritual battles we're going up against. And you have an example of maybe in the book of Joshua where they had great victory, but the one time they went out against an army without seeking the Lord first, they lost in battle. 
And they come back and they're like, God, did you really bring us into the land only to kill us, only to let us die? We're your people, you're letting us die. And God said to Joshua, get your face up. You didn't even ask me. Didn't even seek me. You just went off and took matters into your own hand. What happens when we do things in our own strength? That's what happens. And then we end up blaming the Lord for it. When you're afraid, seek the Lord because he is there, he is waiting, he's with you and he wants to help you and he will help you. He will be everything that you need for everything that you face. Those who seek the Lord are people who seek the Lord first when they're afraid. They're also this, people who pray with humble dependence when facing trouble. This is what I want you to see now as you see Jehoshaphat lift his eyes and he prays to the God of heaven. Listen to the humility and the dependence that is bleeding from him. Verse five, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court and said, O Lord, God our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand your hand. He knows where the source of power is. It's God. So he seeks the source of power first. Verse seven, did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He also knows of the covenant faithfulness of God. And so he appeals to God with this covenant faithfulness and promise. He's reminding God, almost challenging, provoking God in a good way. I know your promises. I believe in them. God, do you? What's the answer back from God? Is God going to ever say, no, I'm not going to keep my promises? Absolutely. This is a man who knows the true source of power and he knows the faithfulness of his God. And so he's reaching out talking to God, but probably reminding himself and the people as well of the covenant faithfulness that's over them as this great horde is on the horizon coming to destroy them. This is what he's doing. Calling a fast. Stop eating. Humble your hearts and your heads and seek the Lord and let's do this together because we have an army coming against us that we are powerless against. Those who seek the Lord are people who seek the Lord first when they're afraid and they pray with humble dependence when facing trouble. Listen, maybe we do pray, but maybe our prayers are extremely accusatory to God. Maybe they're filled with extreme fear. Maybe the one thing that we're missing is this humility and this dependence on God. We're in our hearts. We know that if we have him, we have everything that we need and we'll be taken care of. And so we seek him for him in that way. You are what I need above everything, above anything. You are what I need. And I wonder if in this moment, Jehoshaphat is remembering what his father did as he grew up and he watched all of those years of his father seek the Lord and them have rest and have victory. But the one moment he compromised and he became a friend with the world, And then his feet were struck with the disease because he made a covenant to the Lord to seek it and he broke it and said, may I die if I break this and a disease hits his feet and in his disease, he still refuses to seek the Lord, but only physicians. You see the the picture God's trying to communicate to his people, examples to us even today. 
I wonder if as Jehoshaphat's praying this, he's like, let me not be like my father. Let me not be like my father, but like my father David. Seek you with my whole heart. God, I'm not compromising. I'm not trying to turn away from you. Yes, I compromised with Ahab, but you're showing me forgiveness. We're seeking you now, humbling ourselves, seeking you now. We need you. We're not turning anywhere else, turning to you. Those who seek the Lord are also a people who listen to God's word and do not reject it. Let's finish the prayer and see what happens after it. Verse 10, and now behold, he prays the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us. We didn't destroy them. You let them live and they, they, they reward us by coming to drive us out of, our, out of your possessions, which you have given us to inherit. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? And then look at, look at this. The prayer ended in one of the most humble, dependent, beautiful statements ever coming out of a, 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 a meager man's mouth in prayer in the scriptures. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I would venture that during this time in July, as you seek the Lord's face, as you listen to the fast that has been called to us, and you seek the Lord's face to pray against the powers of darkness and all the many things that we're afraid of that are up against us, scared to death for our hearts to go off to another lover and to become friends of the world. That maybe in your prayer, you're like, I don't even know how to pray. That's okay. You take, the, you take the humble dependence of Jehoshaphat and you pray, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Let me ask you this. Do you think the God of heaven is going to look down, see that hum- humility, see you understand how weak you are and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. We know the character of our God. Remember, I will never turn that person away. God will always listen to that person. It could be that God hasn't been listening to you because there's no humility, only arrogance and resentment filling your heart, idols that are before your face. You're so angry at different people on planet earth that when you seek the Lord, there's nothing but vengeance and vindictiveness filled with your heart. There's a sense of, uh, of rights that you have in your own heart and you don't come to God simply knowing how weak you are and how much you need him. And so he's like, hey, I am here for you, but until you become 100% weak and in need of me, I can't help you. And he says, well, you're not here and safe. This is what salvation is. The person who comes to the Lord in salvation is the person who gets to a point where they're broken and they realize they are powerless and they need God's forgiveness, God's help, God's salvation. Here you are facing death, a great horde, a great army. God save us. The cry of the human heart. God listens to that. So he prays this prayer lifts the people's eyes up to the Lord in humble dependence. They reach out to their God. People who seek him are those who pray like this, but also a people who listen to God's word and do not reject it. Look what happens next. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Could you imagine that? Us us as a people, maybe some at church, we get, we're surrounded by people with pitchforks who want to kill us, right? With our children all next to us, not knowing what to do. And we reached out and we've prayed to the Lord. Look what happens next. 
verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And when I read that, all I can imagine is my feet standing at Calvary, watching Jesus die a gruesome death, not at that time realizing that I'm seeing the salvation of the Lord happen before my eyes. On your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Those who seek the Lord, the people that actually seek the Lord are, I'm telling you, one of the biggest characteristics are those who hear this word and they rejoice and they believe it. They don't make excuses for it and they do not reject it. We know that they didn't reject it because in the next few verses, we're gonna see them cry out in praise. Now, let me give you an example. You also have to take this into context of what you've just read in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Also in 1 Kings Chapter 20, when Ahab is talked about, you see two things happen. You see Asa, his father, serve the Lord, and in the moment that the prophet comes to him and tells him that he compromised and he did an evil thing, just came to him and brought to him the word of the Lord. How did Asa respond? If you go and read, you find that he was mad at this prophet, he threw him in prison, and he afflicted him with much afflictions and tortured this man. Why? Because he simply came to him and brought to him the unpopular word of the Lord. Ahab did the same thing when uh, Micaiah, who was the only prophet amongst his 400 that would tell him the truth. Ahab had 400 prophets that would all speak what the king wanted to hear. And if you read the interchange between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, you see Jehoshaphat rightly say, hey, hey, let's not go into the battle until we inquire of the prophets of the Lord first. Should we go into battle? Let's seek the Lord first. Good, Jehoshaphat. Ahab's like, oh, okay, cool. So his, all of his men, 400 different prophets, and they all come say, go into battle and you'll have victory. You'll win. Jehoshaphat's like, yeah, I don't think these, these aren't good. These are fake false prophets. He knows. He knows how evil Ahab is. And he goes, is there not... Is there not some other prophet that we could listen to? Ahab says, well, there's one, Micaiah, but he only ever speaks evil concerning me. And Jehoshaphat's like, well, let's listen to him. They go and they find uh, Micaiah. Micaiah comes right after all of these other prophets are buttering up Ahab. And they actually tell the prophet, now go and speak to Ahab what we've all said. I mean, think about that, really? Conform. Use the right rhetoric, say the right words, and you better speak and talk the way we're talking to the king. That's what Micaiah was told to do. So he goes to Ahab, says, yes, go into battle, you'll win. And Ahab says, what did I tell you? Did I not tell you to only speak the truth to me? How did Ahab know that he was lying to him? Because I bet his whole demeanor was like this. 
Ahab, yes, going to battle. You will win. Yes, that's exactly what you want to hear. Ahab knew that he was lying to him, and he said, speak the truth. And Micaiah says, you're going to die. Actually tells him about this vision that he saw in the heavens. And the Lord speaking, how shall we get Ahab to go into battle to die? Because God was bringing judgment against Ahab. And one of the spirits in heaven said, I will go and entice all of his prophets so they'll speak a lie to him. And God said, go. And so you see among his 400 prophets, a great lie. But Micaiah says, you will not make it back from battle. And what did Ahab do when simply he spoke the word of the Lord. Ahab said to Josiah, see, Jehoshaphat, see, he only speaks evil concerning me. What evil did he speak of except give you what you asked for, the truth? And he threw the prophet in prison and fed him meager rations. The people of God who truly seek him are the ones who, when the word is spoken, God's word is spoken, they listen and they do not reject it. Peter tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy today. You and I have the completed revelation of God's word through all of his prophets. We have now the words of God that have come and spoken to us through his son. According to Hebrews, long ago and many times, in many ways, God spoke to us through his prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Clear. God himself showing up in the flesh, speaking to us. How much more sure of a word do we have of God's care and covenant faithfulness and victory on our behalf for us? How much more should we listen to it? Yet, are we a people that are going to gnash our teeth when someone tells us the truth? I'll tell you this, pay attention to the encroaching darkness around us and I feel it pulling in on the church. The church is becoming divided and there are people who are putting more stock and to making sure you say the right things and not offend someone. I'm sorry, you cannot follow God and be someone who seeks the Lord and compromise and become friends to the world. People becoming confused, people becoming deceived, which is the tactic of the enemy from the very beginning about what's right and what's wrong. Listening to the rhetoric of the world and being scared into speaking the rhetoric of the world as well. God's people are defined as the people who are aliens on this earth, who are different, who are in it, but not of it. And the way you show love to the world is not by not offending, it's by speaking the truth. And guess what? They killed the prophets because of doing that. They killed Jesus because of doing that. And they're gonna kill us to do that. If we do that today, it's gonna happen. But we're a people who seek the Lord. We should be. People who seek the Lord are those, when they hear the word of the Lord, they listen and they do not reject it. Now look what happens. We gotta move on. Look what happens in verse 18. God's people are also those who seek the Lord are people who praise and worship the Lord even before victory is seen. So they hear this prophecy. They hear the word of the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat, verse 18, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. 
Verse 20 says, and they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood still, said, hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Those who seek the Lord with a whole heart are those who will praise and worship their Lord before victory is even seen. In your fight against darkness, in the battle, whatever you're going through, is it filled with praise and worship or is it filled with testing? God, are you going to come through to me? Worry. You ever heard someone say this? We don't have time to rejoice and celebrate yet. There's work to be done. Not the case in God's kingdom. Not the case. No, no, no. God wants you to first focus on seeking him and praising him and worshiping him because he's already given you victory. Paul says to the Philippians, rejoice always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And he says this why he's in prison, facing his head being cut off. Why can God's people do this? Because the promises of the Lord are sure. And you don't have to wait to see the victory to praise, worship, and celebrate. It's already done in God's book. We just get to be the ones living the script out, but we know it's coming. And so you see these people spend their time in the waiting. What do you do while you're waiting, fasting, praying, and you're waiting for God to deliver you? What are you doing in the waiting? What are you doing on the battlefield and off the battlefield? I think this is a good example here. Praise and worship your God. Genuine example of faith. Those who seek the Lord are people who finally will see God fulfill his promises. So let's see what happens. The war strategy, Jehoshaphat says, this is what we're going to do. Let's take the worship team. We put them in front of the army and we march out worshiping, praising and worshiping. That's, that's, that's our battle tactic right now because God spoke and he says this fight's his. We only need to go out, stand, and watch the salvation of the Lord happen. They believe it. They spend their time worshiping and praising the Lord and then they even emphasize this by putting the worship team in front of the army and they go marching towards battle in praise and worship. Look what happens. When they began to sing and praise the Lord... When they began to sing and praise, verse 22, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. What? God said, I'm going to win this battle for you. How does God win this battle? He just causes the rest of the enemy just to kill themselves. Listen, I do not believe that people who walk in darkness are able to live in unity. They will eventually destroy each other. You go to the book of Judges and God lets us see what life is like when people do what's right in their own eyes. What do they end up doing? They end up killing each other, destroying each other hating each other. Only the gospel of Christ, only through the blood of Christ, only through the spirit of God can people truly be unified. Verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. 
When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days in taking of the spoils. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And then it says this in verse 29. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for as God gave him rest all around. Those who seek the Lord are a people who will see the promises of God fulfilled. We're told in scripture, God is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, which means this. People think, where you at, God? I see you coming through like you do in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, but my life seems to be this just symbolic mess of you just not showing me anything. That's the heart of someone wandering in the wilderness complaining who's putting the Lord to the test Jesus told us when he was fasting in the wilderness, as we learned last week, those people who follow God will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And those who seek the Lord do not put their God to the test. We need to take our eyes off the ground in front of us and put it on the summit. See our part in these many thousand years of history See that there truly is nothing new under the sun and we get to take our place in the journey of God, passing the test of those who seek the Lord and love him and seek him and trust him regardless of what's going on in our body and our families, amongst our friends and our people groups at our work, with our finances, whatever it may be. We seek and thirst and hunger for the Lord. And God has given us all of these overwhelming examples, especially for the book, through the book of the Kings. You see what happened. When people do that, they seek me, I hear them, I listen to them. God will never turn the humble heart away. I want you to consider this. I have this on the screen. I want you to consider something. Consider what we have now compared to them. The kings of the Old Testament teach us something alongside proper devotion. They remind us of God's king the people were expecting. You see, you read through 1 Kings and your heart can't help but to think, am I like this king? Am I like this? Do I have a heart like this? That's good. But as a Christian who has the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, our heart should also do this. Oh, wait. God set up these kings one after another and he shows me that a man in the king position, even the good ones were constantly compromising and falling. At the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, you know what happened? You're like, man, Jehoshaphat, get it. What a king. I wish we had a king like that. And then the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in Ezion Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you've made and the ships were wrecked and we're not able to go to Tarshish. The, the last thing that's said about Jehosha, Jehoshaphat is another compromise, joining together with a wicked person. 
And then we're also told that in his kingdom, though he did great things, the high places were still not taken away. And so you see this like thing left in your heart as you read, even the good king, something's missing. This king wasn't it. None of these kings were good enough. None of them were. Imagine being one of the people as this great horde is coming upon you. You know your history. You know that your victory is based off the, the service of the king to the father. And you're like, man, I'm hoping that my king's heart is devoted to the Lord because I know my history. When the king's heart isn't, we all perish. We all suffer. And thank goodness Jehoshaphat has an example of one who sought the Lord and he brought peace and victory to his people. But yet, even with his heart that was devoted to the Lord, he still was imperfect still was imperfect. And so your mind goes like this, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through all of these kings, right? And then you come to the book of Revelation. I have it up on the screen, Revelation, look at this verse. Revelation 17, 14, let's go to the next screen right here. Can we get there? Do I need to turn to it? All right, let's turn to Revelation. Seventeen, verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you join a kingdom And now you have a king. Let me ask you this. Do you have a king who compromises? Church, do you have a king who compromises? Do you have a king who acts and deals wickedly with his people? Do you have a king who loves the world and what the world wants more than what his father wants? No, you have a king that was perfectly obedient all the way up to death And for the joy set before him, he endured the shame and he gave his life up and he died as the lamb for us all. And because of this rose on the third day and now he sits at the right hand of God in heaven, not on earth, in heaven as the king, your king who is leading you and you are in his kingdom. There is no wicked dealings. There is no part where God will look at Jesus, his son, and say, no, I've forsaken you, my son. I'm denying you, and your kingdom is going to fall because you're acting wickedly. No, God looks down at the son and says, this is the son. I'm well pleased, and all who put their faith and trust in him will have victory 100%, 100%. Never, never will I deny my son, which means God will never deny you if you're in his kingdom. What am I trying to say with all of this? I hope you can hear in my heart. I'm trying to get in a lot because there's so much I want to say. There is so much darkness going on right now and I feel many people in the church are getting pulled away into it. Just like in the old times, compromising. God's people stay true to their king who is leading them into victory. And if we're on his side, we will never be forsaken. We will never be dealt with wickedly and we will have to the day we die a promise that is sure, a God who has given everything for you, his only son. Your sins are taken care of. Your life is taken care of. Your eternity is taken care of if you know Jesus. Now listen, if you're sitting here convicted that you're one of the enemies of God, take note of what happens to those who oppose him. 
but also hear the free call, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come in, join the family, get adopted, be a part of the kingdom, and let's begin praise and worshiping our God in the midst of a dark world that hates us and is encroaching to try to kill us. We will continue to praise and worship our God because he is worthy and he will bring us the victory. Our heavenly father, you see your people, you know, our hearts, your eyes go to and fro in the earth. Let us be the people who seek your face. God, forgive us where we've compromised with our families, with our friends and our work in life. As we've put our minds on so many things on this world, God, change our hearts, bring us to repentance if we need. And as we fast and as we pray for you this month, that you would be kind and patient to us and you would turn your ears and your eyes to us because your king, your son, has dealt perfect with you. And we know you will never deny him. You will not deny his people. Pray all of this in the great, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.